Hello, my name is Josh Fullen. I'm a fourth year medical student out here in Detroit. Uh, I'll be starting residency at Emory University in radiology. I've um, got a little extra time, so I thought I'd do some fun episodes um, on step one material for your listening pleasure. Um, so on the previous episode, I talked about cytoskeletal elements. Well, why is this important? Uh, who cares? I don't know. I think it's important because cytoskeletal elements are key for how a cell moves, how it maintains its shape, how it stays and maintains its shape, even when it's fighting against things and it's under tension. And then also how a cell moves itself and interacts with its surrounding or moves things within itself. Well, all of these were made up of proteins. Well, proteins come from somewhere. Usually they come from RNA. Well, where does RNA come from? Well, that's where we're going to start today. We're going to talk about DNA, its structure, and then how it's replicated. So, um, you know, DNA holds literally as the purpose of life. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's funny in a philosophical sense. DNA, um, it's interesting, right? The whole purpose of life is to pass on information. Uh, you know, that's what uh, it's really important as physicians to teach and pass on for future generations to take care of, you know, the next generation sick and old and hungry and all that. So that's on the grand scheme. But on the very basis of cells, the whole pro purpose of them is to pass on their DNA, the information, the secrets to life. So let's talk about what DNA is made up of. DNA is made up of three things. It's made up of a phosphate group. It has a sugar backbone or a ribose sugar backbone. And then it has a nucleic acid. And that nucleic acid, right, is what specifies the specific type, uh, I guess, of DNA. There's four. There's four kinds of DNA, right? The precursors, I guess you should say, of DNA. There's um, an A, an adenosine. There's a G, a guanosine. There's a T. A thymidine and there's C, cysteine. This is DNA we're talking about, okay? This is DNA we're talking about. Again, I'm going to go over that again. There's adenine, there's guanine, there's thymine, and there's cytosine, okay? Now, I'm going to draw your attention back, okay? There are four precursors of DNA, but there's two general types that you need to you need to realize and understand there's purines and there's pyrimidines okay adenine and thymine i'm sorry excuse me adenine and guanosine are purines a and g you're going to hear this a million times but pure as gold right adenine or adenine and guanine right purines. These are pure as gold, okay? Purines are adenine and guanine. The other kind are pyrimidines. Pyrimidines include the other two, right? Thymine and cytosine, okay? Now, I, I want you to sort of understand this, okay? Purines, okay, follow what I'm saying, purines bind to pyrimidines, okay? Purines bind to pyrimidines, okay? So what do we have? We have DNA. DNA has two kinds, basically, of subgroups of precursors, purines 
and pyrimidines, right? These purines and pyrimidines are made up of a phosphate group, a ribose backbone, and a nucleic acid. And that nucleic acid is what gives it specific structure and functionality. So for DNA, adenine, right, binds thymidine. I keep adding Ds to these. I don't know why I do. But adenine binds thymine, right? Adenine, the purine, binds thymine, the pyrimidine, right? And guanine binds cytosine, cytosine being the pyrimidine and guanine being the purine, okay? So you have purines binding pyrimidines. Now, how many bonds do they make? This is important. This is actually one of the more high-yield parts of this whole um, series uh, that, I, that we're talking about as far as DNA structure replication, right? So we have the general structure. There's a phosphate group right? We have a ribose backbone. We have nucleic acids. Well, when those nucleic acids bind to each other, they can either have three or two bonds, okay? So guanine and cytosine, G and C, have three bonds, right? Adenine and thymine, I keep adding a D, excuse me, guys, but adenine and thymine have two bonds, right? So three bonds, you're gonna, it's going to take more energy or be stronger, right, than two bonds, right? And this is where you get the special shape, this helical structure, right? This creates a double helix. That is what it comes from. It comes from basically the very interesting component of how these A, A, T, or adenine, thymine, two, they have A and T, two, T, two, adenine, thymine, two bonds, right? And guanine, cytosine, three bonds. And it creates this because of the difference in those bond structures, it creates this weird double helix that is, um, you know, <laughs> I want to say path and mnemonic. It's not path and mnemonic. It's just, that is like, it's, it's, when you hear double helical structure, that is DNA, baby. So let's just quickly go back through all of this, okay? DNA grows in a five to three prime structure, five prime being the phosphate, five phosphate group. It has a ribose sugar backbone and then nucleic acid. And nucleic acid is what makes up and makes it a special, you know, precursor. And you have purines and pyrimidines. All you need to remember is pure as gold. And then based on, um, you know, purines, adenine, guanine, pure as gold, then you should know pyrimidines are thymine and cytosine, okay? And you should remember adenine, thymine bind each other, and thymine, too, has two bonds, okay? We're good here. Now, the double helical structure has a five prime side, which is the five phosphate group, and a three prime side, which is the OH group. Remember, sugars, ribose sugars, have hydrogen on which side? You're going to count from the right one, two, three. Three places over on that ribose sugar is going to be your hydrogen group. And then if you go four, five, five prime on that ribose is going to be your phosphate group. Okay. That's where the five prime and three prime come from. And that's how you should understand things. So as DNA grows, right, the phosphate group is going to attach to the um, OH group. There's going to be a chemical reaction there. And then you now have two DNA things, uh, uh, you know, um, you now have uh, basically this backbone, right? Okay. So that's DNA. 
in a nutshell. That's a very quick down and dirty. These are the components of DNA, okay? Excuse me, my computer is low on battery. Oh no, what just happened? I think we're in business still. Come back, come back. We're in business. Computer's reconnecting. Okay. Give me a sec, I have to pull back up my uh, computer. Okay, so now I wanna to talk to you about replication. DNA has all these components, a bunch of random assortments of um, adenine, thymine bonds, and guanine, cytosine bonds, right? This, could, this bonds the, you know, remember this is a double helix, right? So you have basically two tubes, and those two tubes run in a, in a, you know, five to three prime direction, and then they bind to each other in opposite directions. So one side runs five to three prime, and then if you were to look at them directly on, the other side would be running three to five prime, right? So these two sides. Well, anyways, when you copy this, right, you're going to read it only one side of that in one direction. You can read it in multi-directional ways. You can read it 5 to 3 prime, 5 to 3 prime. It doesn't just go in one direction. You can go in two directions now because you have two different um, sides that are basically just opposites of each other, right? But they're, they're mirror images of each other. Um, so when you copy that, you make RNA. You well, actually, let me let me rephrase this. You can either remake DNA through a, an interesting process, which we'll later talk about, called meiosis and mitosis. There, there's differences in them, but the idea is that you're remaking DNA, either in the purpose of, um, you know, gamete production, which are uh, basically you know, uh, um, haploid cells, or you're making it, um, you know, diploid and just recopying the cell, making another copy of itself. But if you're not doing that, you're doing another thing. You're making RNA, okay? And RNA is incredible. RNA is what our body uses after we um, basically transcribe DNA into RNA, right? This is the central dogma. It's literally just this process. You transcribe DNA into RNA, and then you translate that RNA into a protein, okay? Well, RNA is very similar to DNA with a few key differences. It has a phosphate group, it has a ribosugar backbone, and it has a nucleic acid group. Well, the difference is, is that nucleic acid, okay? So again, we have purines and pyrimidines, okay? Purines and pyrimidines. Interesting. So for our purine groups, we're going to have um, adenine and guanine. But for our pyrimidine groups, we no longer have thymine. We have uracil and cytosine, okay? Uracil and cytosine, right? So guanine still binds cytosine, and they have three bonds, right? Just like in DNA, guanine, cytosine, three bonds. They bind each other. These are your... Um, this is your, your purine and pyrimidine bond. But now we have uracil instead of thymine, and adenine binds the uracil in RNA. And the difference here is just the nucleic acids that are bound to this ribose sugar, okay? 
They still have a five prime phosphate group. They still have a three prime hydrogen group. So all you need to know, and we're getting in, you've probably heard this a million times. That's what's funny about med school is you go back and like, um, you relearn the same stuff. You're like, oh my God, how much more complex can it be? I've already learned this. Like, what am I missing? Why are they reteaching to me? Is there something else I should know? We're doing reminders right now. You should be reminded that DNA has adenine, thymine, guanine, cytosine, right? Or uh, And RNA has adenine and uracil, which bind each other. There's no longer thymines. And guanine and cytosine, they bind each other. And guanine and cytosine has three AU, just like in DNA has two, okay? And these form single-stranded structures. RNA is single-stranded. That's the other key thing here. There's... Um, this is like for later on, but just something to keep in mind. When you when you have more things that are um, bound, right, like in a double helix, that structure is going to be more stable in the long run. RNA is not RNA won't break down necessarily, but there are, but it is unstable. And if something happens, like um, something comes in and it breaks down either through a proteasome or maybe through an acidic environment, these things break down quick. That's just something to keep in mind. This side topic, but just for building your general understanding of how things work. Um, things that have like tight, great, strong structures don't break down as easily as say RNA. So anyway, so let's get into it. So RNA has adenine and uracil and guanine and um, cytosine. So we talked about that central dogma. I mentioned that earlier. So what we do is we replicate DNA, right? Then once we have enough replication, we're going to transcribe it so we can make proteins that'll be used either, um, and we will talk about this later on. It's it's funny going through things individually because it would be nice to talk about cell division and you know what you're going to be making at different stages. So I think we'll talk about that in the next uh, lecture. But it's important for you just to know these basic steps and components of uh, yeah, I guess you know the secrets to to life. So anyway, so RNA we've talked about. We have a general idea of that. We know what's in DNA. Talked about that. We talked about the central dogma. So let's talk about the specifics of replication, right? So replication is semi-conservative. There can be multiple origins, in other words, right, of replication. It doesn't just take place on one specific site. You can have replication occurring at different sites all throughout the DNA. It gets primed by RNA, right? You have a primer, an RNA primer that primes uh, basically all of It'll come to the DNA, attach at a specific sequence, and then a huge polymer group of all these replica, uh, replication um, proteins, which we'll get into later, come and bind there. And then replication continues. It can be semi-discontinuous, and this is um, the interesting part. They're called Okazaki fragments. Um, but basically, what you'll see, and on, I'll get into this um, you know, but the question will basically be, you'll, you'll be, um, in a lab, it'll be a lab environment and they'll show you a bunch of like DNA fragments and it'll say, what is this? Like, why are there all these small little portions of fragments of DNA? What is this? And you'll basically go back and you'll say, well, this is the semi discontinuous, um, replication of DNA. And, um, so that's something to keep in mind. And the way that DNA is replicated is via DNA polymerase. We'll get into, there are different kinds of polymerase um, that do different things in the cell. But the general idea here is DNA polymerase replicates DNA. It reads DNA in the three prime to five prime direction, right? 
so it, it attaches via a three prime hydroxyl group and then reads towards the phosphate five prime head and then it creates DNA in a five to three prime direction. Does that make sense? So let's go back to that. DNA polymerase reads in the three to five prime and then creates in the five to three prime. So when DNA comes out, it is reading in the five to three prime direction, okay? So this is where it's gonna get hard to do. This is the unfortunate part of doing a podcast. There are just some things that you have to sit down and write out draw out, go on YouTube and see for it to actually make intuitive sense. But I'm going to go ahead and give a summary um, or a general summary, I guess I should say, of replication. Okay. So remember how I talked about that RNA primer coming and, and basically binding to the DNA? So that happens and it's random. Um, it it result, relies on this huge um, uh, singling cascade, um, which we'll get into on a much later episode. This is getting into like the depths of biochemistry, super fun, super interesting, super high yield for getting, you know, not only uh, a high score on step one, but it will be a huge thing on step two. I know that step one is past fail now, but like, what are you going to do? Still worthwhile because step two is step one and step three is step one. They rely on each other. So building these foundations is crazy important. We'll get into the specifics of this later that causes the primase to bind to the DNA, but primase, aka RNA primer, binds to the DNA, okay? Then a helicase comes and unwinds the DNA. Remember, it's a double helix. They're super tightly bound. You need something to come in and sort of break them apart, pry them apart. So the primase comes, says, hey, this is what we're going to replicate. And then it says, but I can't, I can't do this on my own. I need a little help. Helicase comes in and pries itself between those two strands and unwinds them. It unwinds the, the helicase, right? Anything when you hear case as an enzyme, it's undoing whatever it is. So helicase, it's undoing the helix. Then a single-stranded DNA binding protein will come and stabilize right, the DNA. Right, because when you unbind these, this you sort of cascade, and it becomes this. Remember, when you have less like bound things, it becomes unstable. So, a single-stranded binding DNA will come in and sort of like keep things tight where they need to be tight, and then keep things, and then the helicase will loosen where it needs to be loose. They work together, right? So, the DNA primase attaches to the strand that it wants to replicate, and then DNA polymerase is like, oh, there's room for me to bind now because the helicase has opened up the room. So DNA polymerase will then come in and bind, right? So you have DNA primase, you have a helicase, you have a single-stranded DNA on there, and now you have DNA polymerase. Well, here's the, here's the fun part, right? Remember how I said helicase just sort of like cracks in there and gets the helix a little bit? Well, now you have to actually unwind that, and that's what topoisomerase does. What topoisomerase does, if you, you have to, you have to think about it like, um, if you just continued, like, uh, have you ever, I guess what I picture is like a chain. Okay. If you have like metal, a metal chain and each link, if you continue to 
turn those links in on itself and wind that thing up, it's going to get to the point where it can no longer wind anymore. So if you're going down this double helix, right, matrix copying stuff, the back end of that helix is going to get super tight. Well, that's what topoisomerase does is it snips. There's two kinds of topoisomerase that either snips one or both ends uh, of the strand to relieve that tension. But that's what allows. So DNA topoisomerase snips ends to release tension in the DNA as it, the polymerase goes down it and, and replicates it. So um, here's the interesting thing. So remember how we said that um, uh, DNA is copied in a, uh, it's read in a three to five prime, but synthesized in a five to three prime direction. So depending on where you're at, if you're synthesizing um, basically on the leading end, right? Or the lagging end of a fragment, you're not going to be able to consistently um, just continue on and copy, right? The DNA polymerase, if you're reading on the lagging end, is going to basically catch up and it's not going to be unwound yet. So it's going to stop there. And that's going to actually create an Okazaki fragment where you're going to have to have another basically primase bind, a helicase is going to bind, another polymerase is going to have to bind, and then it's going to unwind a little bit further, and then you're going to copy until you reach that next part, right? That um, That is not unwound yet. So that's at the lagging strand or the lagging end, right? So what you'll need is a part to connect those Okazaki fragments, and that's called DNA ligase. And those are on the lagging strands, right? So you have leading strands, and lagging strands. And what I want you to picture for a leading strand and a lagging strand, right, is as DNA is unwound in a, because the polymerase reads in a three to five prime direction, right? Right, are you following? So the leading strand is gonna be in the three to five prime direction. Well, the bottom strand is gonna be in a five to three prime direction. Does that make sense? So as you unwind, you're going to connect a DNA polymerase at the three prime end and five prime, and then it's going to read towards that five prime end. Well, that five prime end is going to be closed off and you're going to make an Okazaki fragment, right? And then as it unwinds a little bit more, you're going to make another five. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to open up another five prime, three prime location, and you're going to copy there making five to three prime replicated strands. And each time you do that, you're gonna make an Okazaki fragment on the lagging strand. You have to be able to identify this on an exam. It's sort of confusing, low key. You need to be able to just see it. It's hard to describe on a podcast. So what I recommend, again, go on YouTube and watch leading and lagging strands. But what I want you to take away from this, uh, the general description of um, replication here is, that DNA polymerase reads in a three to five prime uh, direction and creates in a five to three prime direction. Once you see how DNA is unwound and its you know, relationship with these five and threes, it'll make intuitive sense why there's a lagging strand and why you need a DNA ligase. Low key though, like it's more, it sounds more complicated than it really is, okay? So tell, uh, the last thing I want you to understand is the telomerase, right? So this is a RNA dependent DNA polymerase, which adds RNA repeats at the end, okay? So you have to remember that like um, DNA, you have to have this 
primase area for it to bind. And as you get to the end of a um, replication fork, um, there's not going to be enough room basically on that repeated, uh, like it's not going to copy the very end. And over millions of replication cycles, that end would shorten and you might start getting into gene rich areas. So we've evolved to have a um, solution for that. It's called a telomerase. So what this does is it's a RNA-dependent DNA polymerase. Basically, at the end of these replicated DNA cycles, a, um, uh, a piece of RNA is going to come and attach the back end of that, which allows this RNA-dependent DNA polymerase to then attach, which copies this last bit of repeating RNA called uh, telomeres. And this allows us so that our... Um, chromosomes don't continuously shorten until we lose gene-rich uh, uh, pieces of, you know, uh, very important information for, you know, that our cells depend on to survive. So that's how we've evolved to compensate for that. So again, um, you know, this is a general idea. We sort of got in too deep and I feel guilty for that. Um, but the main things I want you to keep up with is what DNA is made out of the different purines and pyrimidine groups, and then the, how those uh, groups orient themselves and the bond numbers, both for DNA and RNA. Um, and then general ideas of uh, replication, basically the, the steps for replication, okay? These are important. Um, once you basically re-listen to this, maybe once, I want you to go on, I want you to go on YouTube before re-listening to this. And I want you to basically watch replication happen, but I want you to really delve into um, leading and lagging strands. It will help you understand replication better than just trying to learn the steps individually. So um, good luck. Um, one thing I, I talked about in this episode was how um, specifically um, like the primase, right? Um, when it binds, why it's binding, these are cell signaling pathways that, and cell signaling pathways are different depending on, um, like the cell will do different things depending on which phase it's in. So the next episode, we're gonna talk about cell division, different phases. It's gonna be a quick and dirty episode. The big things to take away from it are gonna be um, what uh, phase uh, a cell is in and why they're in it. Um, and we'll get into that next. So see you in the next episode.